Listen, I, I want to welcome you guys um, to week five of this adventure um, that we're working on called The Story. Um, this is that part of the service that every week we're kind of let you know this is what we're doing. We're walking through uh, this book, and, and what it is uh, is an abridged, uh, it's, it's abridged segments of the NIV scripture uh, put together in chronological order so that you can see the overview, the overarching story of God um, from creation to Jesus' second coming. And uh, that's what we're working on. That's what we're working through. And so uh, to this point, we, we've, we've studied four weeks together. This is week five. So I want to say this now. If you don't have a copy of this book, at the end of the service, we're just going to invite you to walk down this hallway and grab you a copy. This, this hardback is for you through adults. Uh, we have other age-graded uh, copies for other people in your family. And there's a little poster there to tell you what you take, uh, those kind of things. And there'll probably be somebody over there if you have any questions. But we want to invite you to take them to this point. I think we've handed out over 550 of these copies. Uh, yes, it keeps growing every single week. Uh, we, we are now viewing this as just a community outreach. Um, we've seen so many new faces, and we're getting great, uh, great information from those people that they're really enjoying uh, their time together. And so we want to invite you, if, if you've got a neighbor, you've got a friend, somebody that you think would benefit from the story, take a copy and take it to them. And uh, that's what they're there for. Uh, you don't owe us anything. They're completely free of charge. That's something that we're doing um, for you and for your neighbors, for your community, uh, to, to get the Word of God in their hands. And so um, our goal, of course, is to read a chapter before we come. So if we're in week five, you guys were supposed to have read chapter five. Okay. And you can tell by the screen, chapter five, the highlight is the Ten Commandments. Now, last week, um, we, we, we kind of reached what we're calling the third character. And if you've got your bookmark, you take it out. Um, so, so we're in the second movement of the story. The very first movement was just one week. It was the story of creation. The second movement is this entire kind of teal blue section. And that entire movement that we're in is called the story of Israel. Or, 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 that's what it is. It's God building this nation called Israel. And so far in this section, we've been introduced to three characters. First, we were introduced to Abraham. And you may remember Abraham, God finally gave him a son. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He gave him this son, Isaac. But that, that, that came with a test. He had to sacrifice Isaac then. And, and, uh, and, and when he raises the knife, God provides a substitute. And we're seeing Jesus in that, right? And then so Isaac eventually is, is going to have a couple of sons. One of those sons, Jacob, is going to have uh, many sons, and, uh, he, but he's going to have a favorite, and that guy was Joseph. So, so we went from Abraham, we went to Joseph, and then uh, and it's with Joseph that uh, Jacob and, and all of this, this nation that God is building really goes back, and they move to Egypt, where they are safe from the great famine that has taken over the world. Uh, but then Joseph dies, the Pharaoh that was kind to him dies, all the Israelites are enslaved, and that's when we were introduced to a new character last week named Moses, right? Moses. And he was named Moses because he was drawn up out of the water because the new Pharaoh that came in said, we're going to kill all of the baby boys uh, in, in this nation of Israel. We're going to kill them all. We've got to have population control. And so uh, when, when instructing the midwives to kill the children didn't work, he said, well, I know what will work. Um, we'll worship the Nile gods. So you'll take the baby boys and you'll throw them in the Nile as an act of worship to those gods that we believe in. Uh, the Nile gods, and they had several gods of the Nile River that were in, in control of floods and things like that. And so uh, that's where we were. And so, but Moses' mom, of course, has him, hides him, uh, takes, takes a basket, makes it into a boat, floats him down the river. Pharaoh's daughter finds him and says, Daddy, can I keep him? And Pharaoh was probably like, what, what, what harm could one Hebrew boy do? 
And, uh, and, and so we saw that. And so God chooses Moses, right? Moses murdered uh, the guy that was, was beating up on one of the Israelites. Uh, the people found out, Pharaoh found out, he, he ran for his life. I'm just getting you guys caught up. He ran for his life. And, uh, and, he, and he hid out in, uh, in Midian. And uh, there he, he, he gets a wife and, and he becomes a shepherd. He spends 40 years in the desert. God speaks to him through a burning bush and says, listen, I've heard the cries of, of, of your people I'm going to rescue them. And Moses is like, yes. And then God says, and I'm going to use you to do it. And he says, oh, gosh. Starts making excuses, right? Eventually, Moses submits. He goes back to Egypt. He says, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. Uh, the Lord eventually, through the, that 10th plague, right? Uh, Passover. We talked about Passover again. We're seeing Jesus through this entire story. Uh, he, Pharaoh relents and he releases the people. He pursues them to the edge of the Red Sea. God parts the seas as Moses faithfully holds his staff out over the waters. Then uh, this is a battle. Remember, the Lord is fighting. Every time you cross over, there's a battle. And, uh, and uh, the Lord was fighting for them. And then he eventually, the Lord, conquers the entire Egyptian army uh, there without the Israelites having to raise a sword. We learned a lot of stuff from, uh, a lot of lessons from that last week about the character of God. Everything from the fact that God always hears his children's cries and he answers them just in, his, in, 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 in the perfect time. Uh, we, we talked about um, things like uh, the fact that God always fights for his children and he guards his glory. And then, of course, we talked about the fact that God uh, ultimately, as we pointed to Passover, delivers us from slavery to sin by becoming our perfect Passover lamb for us. Now, we've done all that. I want to remind you of where we are as we set the table now for week two the Israelites have been delivered from the hands of Pharaoh, but they're now in the desert. So we're going to pick up from their deliverance. About two months have gone by, and, and, and we're going to pick up the story there. But before we get there, remember what's going on in Movement 2, the story of Israel. Here's, here's the summary, okay? God is building a brand new nation called Israel. Through this nation, he's going to reveal his presence, his power, and his plan to get us back, right? And... Uh, the last part that's, that's key, we've said this every week, every story of Israel points to the first coming of Jesus, the one who will provide a way back to God. All right, with that in mind, uh, I'm going to ask you to pray with me um, this morning. I want to I tell you, um, it, this, is, this is one of those weeks that if you can get this truth deep down in your heart, it has the power to radically transform the way that you view God. This is one of those weeks. And you say, it was that way last week for me, Pastor. That's awesome. This is one of those weeks. If you can get this truth in your heart, uh, I tell you, God could, could radically transform your life. Okay, so pray with me this morning if you don't mind. Father, uh, we are so thankful for who you are. And uh, we're thankful for how you have shown up um, through this entire study that we've already um, experienced here, Lord. We're just in week five, and yet we've seen your hand move in so many ways in the lives of so many people that we know and love. Uh, we pray today that you would move in our hearts, that you would reveal this great truth about yourself to us. And Holy Spirit, we want to do um, right by you, and we want to step back right now and just invite you to please come and take your place at the pulpit. Um, you are the teacher of this church, and we recognize that, and we recognize it every week. And um, we can't see Jesus without you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us, please, the words of Jesus. Lift him up that he might draw us into himself and that we might be changed to be made like him during this time. It is in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So after 
a couple of months of traveling, the Israelites uh, make it to the desert of Sinai, um, where they camp in front of this, of this great mountain. And it, it's there on the top of this great mountain that God is going to speak to Moses and, uh, and reveal to him some really, really cool things. Now, remember, we talked about this last week. God, when God began to speak to Moses in the burning bush, he revealed some things to Moses that he had not re- revealed to Abraham or to Isaac or to Jacob. He, 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 says, he says, I'm going to reveal a part of, of me to you that has yet been unrevealed to everyone else. And, and so I'm, I'm going to show you who I am in a completely different way. And we're going to see this happen throughout the, the remainder of the story with Moses, that God speaks to him like he's never spoken with anyone else, that he reveals part of his nature and his character unlike anywhere else. And so that's why it's really important to study these books when we get into Exodus and, and, and we begin to walk through those first five books of the Bible, that God is really speaking speaking to Moses in a special way. He's revealing his character. Remember last week he says, uh, when, when Moses says, who do I tell him you are? <laughs> and he says, I am. That's who you tell him I, I am. Just tell him I am. Just say, the, the I am sent me, right? And he says, I am the Lord. That's who I am. He's revealing things that he hasn't revealed before. And so uh, this week, the, the same is true. And so after a couple months, um, God is going to speak to Moses and reveal his plan for this new nation of Israel. Uh, Exodus 19, 3 through 6, says it this way. And this is page 59 of the story, if you have it. Um, whichever one you want to turn to, I, I don't care. But Exodus 19, 3 through 6, page 59 of the story. It says this, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him. Now, when we say went up to God, we're talking he's up on the mountain, because God is already on the mountain, okay? So don't freak out. He didn't like this. He, he wasn't up in heaven. He just went up to the mountain, because that's where God was. And God was calling to him, hey, come up to the mountain. So Moses goes up to where God is on the mountain. And the Lord calls to him from the mountain and says, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Ready? You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. Right? I sent ten plagues upon them because they wouldn't listen. They pursued you. I swallowed them up with my mighty right hand. I did it. You didn't have to raise a sword. You have seen what I've done to the people of Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. That's pretty huge. He says, although the whole earth is mine, right? We know that. The the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He says, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy, that means set apart. You will be a set apart nation from everybody else. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so uh, Moses is going to eventually, he's going to go down and he's going to tell the Israelites, hey, like this is what God says. He wants to make us special. God is, is choosing us. He wants us to be his nation. All the other nations, like he rules over everything, but we are going to be a special set-apart nation for God. But we've got to listen to him, and we've got to keep his commands. Like that, that's kinda, so, so Moses is like, here's the agreement that God is wanting to make you guys on board, and this is what the people say, Exodus 19.8. It says, the people all respond together. We will do it, right? We will do everything the Lord has said. And so Moses goes back up the mountain. I wonder how high the mountain was. Moses must have been a, a in-shape older man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he must have been after it. And so he goes all the way back up the mountain. He's like, all right, Lord, um, they're going to do it. That's their response. And, and friends, I just want you to understand how huge this is. The God of heaven and earth, the one who made all things, the one whom all things reflect his, his mighty hand, 
the one who made mankind in his image, is saying amongst all those that are living and breathing, I am choosing you. I'm going to be your God. You are going to be my people. God is saying, I'm I'm going to come down from heaven and I'm going to be in your midst. That's what I want to do. I, I want to come and I want to camp out in your camp. God is saying, I want to dwell in the center of your camp. I want to dwell in the center of your lives. That is how special you are going to be. You are going to be set apart from everyone else. And, 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 and this is a theme that we're going to see throughout the entire story. God is saying, I'm going to make you special because my presence is going to be with you and it's going to change you. This God that we've been learning about, this God that is always with us and he's always above us working for good, this this God that we've been learning about is revealing himself. He's saying, I'm not a distant God. Some of us have felt that way before. Life has gotten tough. Felt like God removed his hand or or we have sinned, right? And we felt like God, well, God will have nothing to do with us now. Listen, that sin will hurt your fellowship with God, but it can't ever change your relationship with God. And God is here, and he's speaking, and he's saying, I'm not a distant God. As Randy Frazee says, uh, and he's the guy that helped put this together, by the way, he says, this God is not an up there distant God. He is a come down here, be with us God. That is the desire of his heart, to dwell with his people. So I want to tell you, every week as we walk through the story, I've, I've labored uh, a lot uh, to take in all the chapters and, and to kind of come up with, with what the Lord is speaking to our congregation, our people. This week, um, as, I, as I was preparing stuff, I went through uh, the outline that Randy Frazee had put together, and I just thought, I can't preach it better than this. And so just know, I'm just going to steal all his stuff this morning, okay? But I gave him credit, so it's not really stealing. Uh, I mean, now we're making it our own, don't get me wrong. But I'm definitely, and, and so if, if you, you can go Google this, and, and uh, it'll, I'm sure it'll come up. You can listen to him preach a lot better than I do. But uh, it, I, I just, I love his approach this morning. And so it's that approach that we're going to take. And, and so, like I said, this is something we see play out throughout Scripture, that this God that we, we are getting to know, that we're, we're beginning to worship, this God is not an up there distant God. He's a come down here, be with us. God. And we saw that in, in, in the very beginning, right? It's in five places throughout Scripture. We see it in the garden, in, in the story of the garden, that God is down. He's not up. God is down, and he's living amongst, he's walking amongst the people that he's created with Adam and Eve. He's calling out to him uh, in the cool of the day, right? Sin changes all that. And so, so now, here again, uh, we're, we're, we're now here with Moses, and he, God has delivered uh, his people. He started a new nation. This is, this is part of his plan of redemption. He's going to come through this new nation. And so he, he begins this new nation again. He says, I'm not I'm up there, God. I, I want to be down here with you. And so God says, listen, I, I, I want, I want to, I'm going to make you special. I'm going to make you set apart like I'm set apart. And I'm going, to, I'm going to live in the center of your lives. And we see that now with Moses and, and the nation of Israel. We're going to see it again with the birth of Jesus. Right? With the incarnation that God himself is going to become flesh. And again, God is saying, I'm not an up there distant God. I'm, I'm a down here be with you God. I'm going to come and I'm going to understand exactly who you are and how you think and, and why you live. And I'm going to suffer for your sake. And, and we're going to see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus dies and he's buried and, and, and he's raised to new life and he ascends into heaven. And God again says, I'm not an up there distant God. I'm not a God that wants to leave you or forsake you. I'm a be down here with you, God. And he sends the Holy Spirit 
to come and be in all those that, 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 that believe in Jesus. And then we're going to see it again in, in the book of Revelation that the King of kings and the Lords of lords, Jesus Christ himself is going to return. And again, he's going to proclaim, I'm not an up there distant God. I'm a down here, be with you, God. In fact, I'm bringing my home down here and it's all going to be good. And we're going to see it over and over and over. And so I'm here to tell you this is a theme of Scripture that you've got to grasp. That God is not a distant God. He's a God that wants to be in the center of your life. That's the God that we're studying. That's the God that we're learning about. And so this God says, I want to do this now. Somebody says, as you're reading this week, maybe you you thought, man, 40 days and 40 nights, that is a long time for God to scribble down Ten Commandments. Anybody have that thought? Come on, be honest. That is a long time, like, right? I mean, you made all, like, everything. You created the whole world and everything in it in six days, and it takes you 40, Lord, to come up with ten rules, right? And you may may have thought that. I mean, and if you read that, hey, listen, I, I understand, right? people may have thought that, but I want you to know there's a lot more going on upon uh, this mountain that God is not just giving ten commandments. Rather, God is teaching Moses exactly what it will take for God to come down and plant himself in the midst of these people. You see, uh, this, this week, uh, our perspective that we're teaching this morning is not about commands, it's not even about covenant, it's about presence. See, this week is really about God dictating to Moses what it will require for his presence to live amongst a sinful people. I'm holy. You're not. But I love you. And I want to be with you. And here is what it's going to take for me to come down and to be with you. And so on the mountain, God talks to Moses about three different things. So he's up there for a long time because all these three things have to be addressed. The first thing God says, he says, listen, if I'm going to come down and live in your midst amongst sinful people, I'm going to need a tabernacle to dwell in. I'm going to need a tabernacle to dwell in, right? According to God, these three things have to happen for him to be able to live in the center of our lives in the midst of sinful people. So God says, I need a tabernacle to dwell in. Frizee calls it a, a place to stay. Think about this with me. God, the creator of the universe, wants to plant himself in the midst of of sinful people. He wants to dwell with them. He wants to live with them right in the center of their lives. And and, and this this is huge. This is extremely good news for Israel. And it's extremely good news for us. Because wherever God's presence is, there his blessing is, there his protection is, there his power is, there his favor is. And so God tells Moses, um, he actually instructs him in great detail how to build a sanctuary for himself, a tabernacle. Uh, some people could call it a tent. It means a place to dwell, a home. God says, listen, I want you to build a place for me to dwell in the midst of your camp. And, and God is extremely detailed as he lays out, he prescribes exactly how this tabernacle must be built. Because he is holy and, and he's coming down to live in the midst of sinful people. So, I mean, to the thread and, and the color of the thread. I mean, he, he talks about the kind of wood that has to be used, the, 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 the color of the fabric, how thick it needs to be, how tall it needs to be, how wide it needs to be. And, and, and God is specific, and every one of those details is going to point to Jesus, which is amazing. And so God wants to dwell with us. He wants to be in the center of our lives, but he needs this tabernacle. And so Moses and the Israelites are going are, are to build it. God's going to dwell there in the tabernacle. But even there, he, he remains behind a heavy curtain. Some people say in the back room. 
It's called the Holy of, of, of Holies. And, and, and somebody says, well, why? Why, why? why would God even do that? Because he, he wants to be in the center of these people's lives. He's chosen them. He loves them. But they are sinful people. And so God, because he is holy, he's actually holy, holy, holy. He's, he's set apart, set apart, set apart. He's perfect, perfect, perfect. He can't be in the presence of sin. And so even though he has his own dwelling uh, amidst their lives, and even though that dwelling has tents and rooms, ultimately, even within that dwelling, he's going to have another dwelling that no one can enter except one man one day a year. And God is stressing, this is what it takes for me to live in the midst of sinful people. I've got to have a tabernacle, a place for me to reside in the midst of sinful people. So God speaks to Moses on the mountain, a good part of that time period that he is up there, and remember, he endures it twice. (laughs) A good part of that time period that, that Moses is speaking with the Lord, he's getting detailed instructions on these things. So he gets detailed instructions on the tabernacle. He also gets detailed instructions on what um, we would call a sacrificial system. And that's because of number two. God says the second thing that's required is that sin must be atoned for. If I, God, am going to live in your midst, sin has to be atoned for. I'm holy, you're not. So there has to be a system that your sin can be atoned for that I don't just wipe you out. By being amongst you. So sin must be atoned for. That's another thing going on on the mountain. God is establishing a sacrificial system. Who's read the book of Leviticus? Anybody try to read through the Bible? How many of you, your Bible reading dreams died in Leviticus, right? Okay, some of you are like, yep, that was me. It's a, it's a great, but it's like a love letter, isn't it, Leviticus? Just like if you wanted to write your wife just something to make her feel better, just quote Leviticus. I tell you, that will not work. <laughs> it's not really that way. Leviticus is a very technical book. It, it, it's written, technically speaking, it, it, it describes, uh, I, I mean, excruciatingly, it describes every sacrifice that God will accept, how those sacrifices must be presented, who can present them. I mean, and it goes into, even to the point of, okay, all right, so for an animal sacrifice, you've got to have this kind of animal, you've got to bring it, and the priest, like, you have to, you have to hold his neck at this angle, and you have to cut from this side to that side. You're like, come on, Lord, really? And God is, God is going, I am that good. You don't understand. I am that good. I am, I am that holy. I am that righteous. And you are that sinful. I'm going to give you every single detail of how to do this. And so God institutes this sacrificial system. And, and, and every bit of those details, just like the, the tabernacle, it, it, all of those details, it, they're all going to point to Jesus. And the reason that God is so specific, and you need to understand this, the reason that God is so specific, ready, is, is because... Um, the payment for sin cannot come from sinful people. Okay? You can't cover sin with sin. Do you understand? So, so he's, he's telling, this is what it takes to be set apart, to set apart these animals, to set apart these offerings, to set apart. This is the detail that will be required of you. You can't just walk up and go, here you go. And, and, and it's going to require something great of you. All right, you're going to have to come before me and be consecrated. Like those things are going to have to happen to to be in my presence. And so, and we go back and we remember the garden. That's where we learned that the penalty of sin is death. 
God killed an innocent animal to make clothes for Adam and Eve to cover their shame. And Hebrews 9.22, and we quote this very often here in this church, is, says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so the problem comes in this. The blood that God requires has to be innocent. The blood that God requires has to be innocent, okay? And our, our blood is all tainted. Our, our entire DNA is, is tainted. We are, we are prone to, to sin. And so um, God institutes this sacrificial system where, where the blood of an innocent victim will be shed for our sins. And he instructs the people how to carry this out. And, and, and this happens constantly in the nation of Israel. They're always involved in this sacrifice, okay? And they're sacrificing primarily uh, animals. Well, they're always sacrificing animals. There's also grain offerings and drink offerings and things like that. But they're sacrificing animals, innocent animals. And, uh, and, and so every year, um, there's a day that's set apart. And remember, I told you God camps out in the back of this tent, the Holy of Holies. So every day, one day a year, the high priest of the nation has to consecrate himself. He's got to completely cleanse himself. He's got to confess all sins. I mean, if he doesn't, like God will kill him. And so uh, it's always a great duty to be the high priest um, that year. And, uh, and so because when they start tying the belt around you, or the rope around you, and they put bells on it just in case like God thrashes you around and uh, they know to, to pull out your limp dead body... Um, um, you know, they've got to be thinking, oh, the Day of Atonement, yes, I'm the high priest. And then when they hook the bell up, I'm just thinking you almost pass out, going, oh, gosh, what am I doing? So they hook him up, and one day a year he goes, and uh, he makes sacrifices on behalf of himself, on behalf of the people. And he sprinkles shed blood there over the mercy seat underneath which the Ten Commandments are held. And, and again, it's all pointing to Jesus. Somebody's blood. Remember, we said a son is coming who's going to crush the head of the great antagonist of this story, the antagonist we met in chapter 1. He was in the form of a serpent. His name is Satan. But a son was promised that would crush his head. And again, this is pointing towards that son. It will be his blood that will have to be shed for our sins, and it's all about mercy. It's all about God's mercy, okay? And so, so again, the sacrificial, this, this thing has to happen. And this, this system's got to continue as long as God dwells amongst sinful people. It, it's going to have to happen over and over and over. You say, why, why, did, why couldn't it just work one time? Well, here's why. Because the Bible in the book of Hebrews says this system that God sets up amongst his nation is actually a symbol of what is to come. That's what it says. It's just a symbol. And so the symbol... The symbol never had the power to truly remove sins. People always felt guilty. They always felt distant. And, and the point was that they would have to do this every year as a symbol. It was kind of holding them over until that symbol is fulfilled and the ultimate Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. And so that's what's going to happen over and over. And when Jesus dies, it will be completely different. Where the blood of goats and bulls had no power had, had no power over sins. The Bible says this. It says the blood of Jesus will be effective. It will be effective once and for all. All that believe in him will be forgiven. Then God will come and dwell with us and we can be without condemnation. 
So this is all about God's presence. God came to dwell with us. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to camp in the midst of his children and in the midst of his people. He says, listen, if I'm going to come down, I want to come down. I want to bless you with my presence. You're going to be my people. Okay, I'm going to be your God. But for that to happen, I've got to have a tabernacle. I've got to have a place to live. He says, sin's got to be atoned for. And then there's one more thing he's talking to Moses about on the mountain, right? He says, there's going to have to be some new rules. There's going to have to be some new rules for living in community with one another. If, if I'm going to live with you, and you're going to live with me, and you're going to live with each other, we've got to establish some new guidelines, all right? Because what you're doing ain't cutting it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not working. In fact, you remember uh, this week you read is, is God is giving Moses all this revelation. Uh, the people are down, and they're already breaking the first two commands that God... I mean, God is like, hey, Moses, do you see them down there? And Moses is like, no, Lord, I can't see anything from up here. And he's like, well, I'm God. I know what they're doing. They've already broken the first two. Moses comes down fuming hot. He's going to break the commandments. He's going to have to go up and get them again. And, and uh, God's going to give them some rules to live by. And, and, and all of these rules break up in, in two camps. The first four are all about loving God. They're all about loving God. God is saying, listen, I want to come down. I want to be in the center of your life. But when I say that, that means I want your life centered around me. That's it. I'm not, I'm not going to settle for anything less than that. If I, if I, the God of the universe, am going to come down and I'm going to live amongst you, if I'm going to camp out in the center of your life, then your life better be centered around me. And here's what that means. That means you have no other God than me. That means there is no more idol worship. There is no more, well, the rain hasn't come, so let's pray to the rain God or or to Mother Nature or to whatever else we make up. God says, I'm done with that. There's no more of that funny business. I am God. I rule everything. I made you. You pray to me. That is it. God says, in fact, you'll have no idols. None. Do not make for yourself an idol. And man, we could talk about idols today, right? I mean, we got them all in America, don't we? You have a TV show named it. It's coming back. Got all kinds of idols. God says, listen, nothing, just me, nobody else. And all four of the first commands just deal with this. It's about a vertical love relationship with God where you say, God, you are first by a long shot in my life. Okay? It's right here. Now, the next six are horizontal. They deal with how we are supposed to treat one another, right? how we're supposed to treat one another. Jesus is going to be asked, what are the two greatest commandments in all of Scripture? And he's going to answer rightly, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, upon these two commands hang all the rest. So everything that we're going to find, everything that God continues to reveal to to Moses and that we find really throughout the remainder of the Bible, all, all, all is based here on loving God and making him first, center of our lives, and on loving others and treating them the way that God intends us to treat them. Everything else hangs upon these two things. That's why we simplified things here a while back and said, listen, really we exist to love God and to love people. That's what we do. We have one thing we tack on to the end of that because we tend to think that love is, is just an emotion, but it's not. Love is a verb. And so we add on to that. Love God, love people, do something. Like do something about it, you know? Don't just say it, do it. That means some things for you. If you're going to love God and you're actually going to do that, it means that you have to pray to him. I'm sorry, you can't love God and not talk to him. That's just not how love works, right? I mean, I mean love is, is something that's about communication. You've got to talk to him. You've got to spend time with him. You can't love God and not listen to what he says. That doesn't, that doesn't work. That doesn't fly. You have to, you have to, you love God. You gotta read his word. 
Because he said, this is how I want you to live. This is what I have for you. And so the, the Christians that would say to me, oh, yes, I love God. I love God. He's number one in my life. And they say, but I don't read the Bible. Well, then you don't really love God. Because you're not concerned about what God says and how you're supposed to live. If you're concerned with God and about, about who he is, about, about how he asks you to live, you've got to read his word. And if you're not reading his word, that's problematic, right? We can't truly claim that we love God if we don't want to hear from him. See, because when we pray, that's typically us talking to God, and we can stop and we can listen. But most of the time when we hear God talking to us, sometimes God will speak to us in our spirits. He does that a lot. Sometimes God will use other people to speak into our lives. But God's primary message of communicating to you is his word. His written word. And if you're not reading his written word, it's kind of like closing a door and saying, God, I love you, close the door, but that's your room. If I did that with my wife, it would not go well. It would not go well. So we've got to do that, right? We've got to do those things. It's it's really, really important that we do those things. So we've got to pray. We've got to study the Bible. We've got to worship him. Do you remember why? God delivered the Israelites in the first place. You can never forget this. I mean, you shouldn't forget it. Moses goes before Pharaoh and he says it time and time and time and time and time and time and time. Have I reached 10 yet? And time again. I mean, God is like, I know how slow you guys are, so I'm going to keep repeating myself. When you get out of Pharaoh's grasp, when I deliver you, when you're no longer a captive, when you're no longer a slave, worship me. That's why we're delivered. To worship God. And yet we kind of treat church like it's just something we have to fit in every once in a while. What? You've been set free from slavery to sin and death. And Sunday morning is a struggle. Really? Are we, are we, are we being right? Did you, I mean, you, you feel me, right? I'm not trying to pick on you. But I'm just, I'm just saying, like, when we program our lives, when we set our priorities... I think sometimes we've got to look back to our chains. It's got to be the set, right? That's got to be where it starts. So God says, first of all, man, you've got to love me. Right? And then he says, and you've got to love others, and you've got to do something about it. You've got to show people, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. So let me, let me just help you take this home, and we'll be done. What does this story mean for you this week? These are things we want you to take home. Think about this all week. Keep this little part of the sheet with you. Pray over it. Number one. God wants to dwell in you and be the center of your life. That is the truth. That, that, I, remember I said there's a truth this week. God's going to reveal part of himself. And if you get it, it has the power to change your life forever. This is it. God wants to live in you. And he wants to be the center of your life. And you say, oh, I, I don't know, Pastor. That sounds kind of cool. But how big of a deal is that really? It's such a big deal that Paul says this is the mystery of the gospel. Right? I mean, Paul, the smartest dude I know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know him personally, I mean, but I've just read all his writings, right? I mean, Paul is like, I'm like, oh, Paul, you're so smart. I wish I was as smart as you are. And he's like, there are mysteries of the gospel I can't figure out. And here's the greatest thing that I can't figure out. Why on earth God would want to live in us? He says, this is the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery of the gospel, that this God is not an up there God. He's not an up there, I don't care God. He's a down here, want to be in the center of my life God. That should shock us because we know ourselves. There is nothing worthy of God living inside of this vessel, right? But yet God says, I love you so much. I want to come and I want to camp out in the very depths of who you are. It should just, just, oh my gosh. And where his presence is, there is his protection. And there is his power. And there is his blessing. 
And that is where God wants to dwell, right? So I just say this to you this morning. I know it's crazy, but God truly does want to be in the center of your life. Second, you hear that and you say, that's good news, I want that. But you've got to know the second thing. Your sin must be covered by the sacrifice of Jesus. In order for God to be at the center of your life, you have to be covered by the blood of Jesus. How does that happen? You don't pour blood over yourself. It's not some weird, wackadoo religious ceremony. You say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I believe in you. And the Bible says at that moment, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. At that moment, that literally all of your sins will be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect one. Your sins will be atoned for once and for all. Meaning, after you receive Christ and mess up, still covered. Somebody says, well, pastor, that's grace. That's like treating Jesus like a doormat. No, that's the power of the blood of Jesus is what it is. That nothing I can do from that moment can undo what God has done in me. And that's good. That is good. So your sin's got to be covered if you want that God thing in the center of your life. The last thing I would challenge you with is that every relationship in your life must change. That is what this means. If God is going to be the center of your life, it will change every relationship, starting with your relationship with Him. That's where it begins. Like Your relationship with God will radically transform because you realize He wants to be the center of my life. Not just, not just a little part of my life. We kind of treat God like, well, there's a God segment and then there's everything else. And God says, no, every segment of your life spins off of me because I'm the center. Every part of who you are shoots off of me because I'm in the center. So it changes the way we view that. If God is truly the center of everything we do, I've got to talk to him. I've got to ask him, Lord, what should I do with this part of my life? God, what do I do with this part of my life? Lord, what do I do with this part of my life? How do I fix this thing? God? And I'm constantly going back to the center to ask the center how to reorganize things in my life. You get it? Lastly, it should change the way that you love others. Should. Love is a verb, my friends. It's a verb. It's not a word. We've got to stop telling people we love them. We've got to start showing them that we love them. It's going to involve service. It's going to involve getting your hands dirty. We've got somebody in our church family right now that's loving somebody. Boy, are they loving somebody. They got a three-day-old baby that showed up on their doorstep. Some of you say, what? What happened? They were involved with ministry with a young lady that came to our church. You may remember this young lady. She gave her life to the Lord, and the Lord's really been doing some work in her life. But she had some past problems, and they caught up with her. That hasn't changed her pursuit of the Lord, evidently. She's in Bible studies all the time. She's, she's trying hard to follow Jesus, but she's in prison. And she had a baby while she was in prison. And you know where that baby is? It's in the home of one of our church members. Three day old. Now listen. You said, I, I, I can't walk over to my neighbor's house and rake their leaves or help them or cook them dinner. That just take up too much of my time. Really? <laughs> you want to wake up with a three day old in the middle of the night three times? Love demands sacrifice. It always does. It always looks like action because it is. It can't be without it. All right? Think about those things this week. I pray that the Lord would bless you. Uh, Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word. I pray that you have been magnified this morning. And uh, we look forward uh, to our 11 o'clock service. 
Father, uh, as we've got a, a new family joining, if we've got somebody that's going to be baptized today, we're so thankful for the new life that you are bringing uh, and allowing us to be a part. God, I thank you for um, the power of the gospel that is at work within us. And I thank you for this truth that you want to be with us right where we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.